0: Okay, wait, well, there it is. Now we're live. Normally I have a a, a musical intro, but I didn't set it up, so it's like a. I don't even know what my song is. I did it in GarageBand. But (laughs) hey, everyone, welcome to Film Marketing Fridays. I'm Scott McMahon, and today I've got a special guest. It's Sky Crompton. Did I pronounce that correctly, Sky? Yes, you did. And you're you're all the way in um, Victoria, Australia, Melbourne correct? Yes. Now, wait, how does that work? So, Victoria is in Melbourne? Is that how it works? Am Victoria I, is the state. The state. Okay. All right. So, Victoria is the state and, and that is on the east or west side. This is how bad my American geography is.
1: That's all right. It's it's, it's um, lower east coast Australia.
0: Ah, oh, okay. Nice. Now, do you surf? I'm just curious because...
1: <laughs> no, I don't surf. My, my brother does, but not me.
0: Okay. No reason. I, I grew up surfing, so it's one of those things, like, I always want to get... I've never been to Australia, so... And um, the World Surfing Tour always kicks off in the Gold Coast, which is, I believe, on the east side. Isn't that correct?
1: Yeah, on yeah. east side.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's coming up. The big contest, the first contest of the year is coming up, so... Um, that I was just interested. So we met just via e- uh, emails, going back and forth. And you shared me this film that you uh, created. Uh, that it's a feature film that won, a, that got in a lot of um, film festivals and won some, a lot of awards. Can you tell us a little bit more about? I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly. It's Citizen Jai Lee, or how did I? Yeah,
1: that's correct. Okay. Yeah, that's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna um, once you go ahead and uh give us a little rundown of it as I click over to, um. The web page. just like if somebody met you at a party, like, "Oh, you made a feature film. Oh, cool. What's What's it about? What's Citizen Jai about?"
1: Um, it's about three days in the life of a hairdresser, a gangster, and a Harajuku girl in Melbourne.
0: What is a? Uh, um, how do you pronounce that again? What kind of girl is that? A higher what?
1: Harajuku is a place in um, Tokyo where they basically have a very cool culture. It's um, pop culture. You know, you've probably seen Gwen Stefani's Harajuku Girls um, when she was doing her solo albums.
0: Right, the Japanese right.
1: Girls there. So Harajuku is, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's very cool. I mean, like I said... Um... I want a set of those goggles and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let me... wants the <laughs> <laughs> But it's like the whole cool, so you have the gangster. Um, now, it's fascinating. What was your experience like that? Because it, it looks like you got, like, maybe funding or grant by Panasonic, or how did that all work out? Uh, Panasonic
1: came on board providing basically the camera equipment. So um, they provided us a very nice camera and a very nice lens, and uh, it was shot on that.
0: Nicely done. So was there any other type of funding in terms of, um, you know, state funding or, or like a it was, organization?
1: No, it was, it was privately funded and we ran an equity model with the cast.
0: Oh, nice. Very nice. So let me ask you, so um, the real, like the real quick, you did a like a, a film festival tour and then at what point um, you got worldwide dis- distribution. Is that, is that through film and books um, who's the distributor? Um, no,
1: no, no. The distributor um, we used an online aggregator, Kino Nation.
0: Oh, Kino, okay.
1: And, and they, um, it's going through Hulu in the states and another provider in um, in the in Europe and with other people. So you know, it, it's good. I mean, you've got. I think the film has to be placed in a context. Um, it was shot in 14 days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and as, as um, it says in several articles, the film cost less than the car that was in the film, which <laughs> was a nice, very nice movie. So, you know, it, it's had what I think is very good success, Pick up an award for Chris Pang, who's one of the stars, um, getting to the festivals. And interestingly, it got into a broad range of festivals. It got into... Um, genre festivals, mainstream population festivals, so, you know, your general audience festivals. It it had a really nice spread. And as the film and book review gives it a really nice review, I think um, it came out really well, and it's starting to write us checks back.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, it was a very thorough, like, blog post. Like, it wasn't just, like, a blurb, like, here's this film. It, like, went, i never seen the site before until you introduced it to me. Uh, to it to me, but it was in very thorough and a very nice write-up for sure. And like you said too, your film was able to like it was in like the Phoenix Comic Convention um, Festival, yeah. and then it went over to like you know overseas to like the um, um, like the Asian uh, Film Festival. What do they call it? The the Yellow Film Festival or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: In so, Northern Ireland.
0: Yeah. Northern Ireland, right, right. Almost sounds racist, but no, it's kidding. <laughs> <Just> I'm being <laughs> I mean, being half Asian. No, <laughs> let me ask you. Um, so your whole experience with all this stuff. Um, what is you? You briefly mentioned that you're developing sort of a more of a longer form um, storytelling. Um, I think a TV project. But if you can kind of, you don't have to give us all the details. But what's the what's the latest thing you're um, working on?
1: We've got. Um, basically, we've rebooted. It as a story in San Francisco as a twelve-part TV series. Um, we've got interest, broadcast. We're staying cast up, and we're
0: financing at the moment. Okay, now let me ask you: um, what is the um, what is the film scene like in Australia in terms of the film community, especially the independent film community there?
1: Um, that's a very political loaded question.
0: Oh. Um, <laughs> well, maybe I used to say maybe. Uh, no, no, no,
1: no, no. I can't it. It's, it's. Look, if you're an, if you're truly an independent filmmaker in Australia, it's very difficult. Um, the majority of funding comes through government agencies, um, as it does in the UK and a number of places. We don't really have a commercial film industry, and when I mean a commercial one, you've got a handful of producers who are, uh, we're talking about people like Baz Luhrmann and producers of Happy Feet and Mad Max and The King's Speech, and they're, you know, the handful that are making commercial features that will make their money back and make a return for investors and also whilst they'll access um, soft money, they'll be financially viable in their own right. The rest is people begging film agencies for money or finding another way to make films.
0: Yeah, let me ask you. Let's get. I'm always curious about this because this is, um, I guess, for me, for film trooper. Like I said, I've I've had an opportunity to play in a large sandbox with a PlayStation, and then and then also living, growing up down in Southern California, being surrounded by the industry itself. Um, when the uh, economy sort of imploded a couple of years ago it definitely rattled sort of the traditional ways that people were finding financing for film but as you can probably read in the trade papers and all your studies is interesting that you know Hollywood will always chase whatever new money or they'll find ways to like raise the money you know <laughs> like there's always seems to be a new set of investors or investment group or new ways of bringing money in um, that's why Film Trooper for me was like, well, with everybody has their, these amazing cameras nowadays that, that can, you know, film. You can make a nice film, um, put it online, and, and be able to tell a visual story. Now, there's so many of us now like that, just flooding the, the market, I guess you would say, but there's some, there's some, to me, there's some beauty of it. Let me ask you, do you feel, um, is there like a sweet spot, like a price point, or is it just per project? That um, that you would just like to be able to make a feature film for is it like you know two hundred fifty a half million or as low as twenty five thousand?
1: Um, I think if we're talking about sustainable filmmaking where you've got to make a living, I think. And, and the other thing is, do you want to actually make money back? Because a lot of people who are making these million dollar films with DVD drying up. Are they making their money back on VOD? That's a question that I think half a dozen out of a thousand might be making their money back on those one million, two million dollar films. The rest aren't. And that's that's not something that hasn't happened before with theatrical distribution. But I think because of the democratization of being able to make films, I think that there are a lot more being made and a lot more that aren't making their money back. So therefore there are a lot more seeing the disappointment that was relegated to a few before. So I would say that the return point, unless you've got stars attached who'll work for nothing and come on the back end, I think the return point is somewhere in the five to $8 million mark.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah, so like if you're so going to... That's, yeah.
1: that's, that's a film that will make money, and it will make money because of um, it being able to have a marketing budget, because of being able to get market placement and an audience that will actually return that.
0: Yeah, and then also in that in that budget range is um, the fees. Like if you're able to put it into the budget, so the director and the uh, the, the actors and the crew get their you know they get paid. You know, <laughs> so that's a way. It's like look, I got paid for that particular project. And I just have to get another project out the gate. Um, so for the producer's point of view, it's just like they just got to make sure that they can sell that five to eight million dollar range film to um, to cover the costs, so that everybody gets paid their their fees. So really interesting. I, I'm on like it's weird because I'm on this like sort of mission to um, to see how well I can perfect my. These uber way ridiculously inexpensive uh, feature films, and I, I love the feature. I love the a little bit of the long form storytelling. Not to say that I wouldn't get into something sh- shorter. I'm open to anything, but for right now it's like um, I was like, I wonder how many of these little like one location or minimal location films that can that that force you to explore sort of the 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 creative writing process to. Um, to just be able to tell a story, you know, really well um, in such a limited resources, and the reason I'm doing that too is because just because, like you said, the uh, trying to make your money back, not necessarily you make a sustainable living out of it. Um, the way I look at it is like a film is more or less like an advertisement for something bigger by applying uh, very much the the same internet marketing skills and business practices that I follow. A lot of these um, online entrepreneurs and it's interesting because they're just selling digital products a lot of them are selling books and it's like well if I could take the same principles uh, business marketing principles that they're doing selling their books can it be done the same if you're selling music a piece of art or now film so anyway with that said you had some really great questions I think that kind of hit at the heart of what a lot of independent filmmakers are thinking about in terms of marketing and, um, and since this is film marketing Fridays I don't, you know, I'm definitely not the expert. All I know is I'm a huge enthusiast of film marketing, mm. <laughs> and so my great my job is I feel like ask a bunch of questions, we get in discussions, mm. and then I, I'm I'm just enthusiastically trying to curate all this information that I've been devouring and then slowly trying to apply. So, yeah. if if you're game. Um, I'll go through the slides. Yeah,
1: I, I, yeah. I just had something to say because I think I think what you're saying and yeah, you know, my personal experience is that you can make a film very very cheaply, and that's what the democratization of the technology has done for us. Um, and if you've got the skills, you can make a good good film cheaply. What I've found is in my experience is that that next step, you've got a film. And, okay, you get into some film festivals, but ultimately the real audience doesn't care about the film festivals unless they're the Oscars or the BAFTAs or whatever. Mm -hmm. They care about, oh, what are we going to spend our Friday night watching at home on VOD or (laughs) DVD going to the movies? And how do they know about your film? Because most people don't read the reviews, they read what they get tweeted to them, they might read the newspaper review and so forth. So I think that whilst we can make a cheap film and we can meet, we can um, sell something that we do make, getting it to the audience is um, that next step at marketing.
0: Yeah, so let's take a look at that. Um, I'll throw the screen, I'll, my SlideShare up. Um, I think this is how it works. Okay, here we go. You see that, right? Not see yet. It? Okay. Yeah, I know we have that. Yeah, the, no. <laughs> Okay. All right. So if I click through, here we go. If I click through this, you had a great question because it's like, look, you've, you you finish your film and you probably want to know, like, well, who's going to market my movie? You know. And it's really interesting because um, normally we assume that a distribution deal or a distribution company um, is going to be the person or entity that's going to champion your film. They buy your film, you win that deal, and then you expect the distribution company to handle the marketing of the movie. Uh, some distribution companies will, but again, it's very small percentage. Um, it's really interesting, but it's not unheard of for a distribution company to come in and buy your film or offer a deal for your film, only to um, ask you what your marketing plans are. <laughs> so you're like, wait a minute, I thought you guys had a marketing plan. So the, we, I show you these slides a little bit ahead of time, but the interesting thing about working with anybody or any entity is based on this uh, book, uh, Freakonomics by uh, Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt. The one takeaway by this great book was that everybody, individuals and also uh, business entities are all motivi- motivated by incentive. So the, that's the big thing to ask yourself and then ask the other person who's coming on board You know, if you're building a team, or if you're going to go into a business partnership of anybody looking to possibly market your film or just distribute your film, is what is their incentive? And if in your what you're trying to do is get that win-win situation, where both incentives are in alignment with together, which is very hard to do, but um, but it's always a good place to start. To always ask yourself, like you know, what's the incentive? Like today, you know, um, let's put my my face back here you know like my incentive to to talk to you is like I'm just interested in hearing um, a lot of different filmmakers you know questions about the marketing aspect of things because I definitely think that's a huge that's like the next threshold or the next next barrier that film schools or just film education that we're all gonna be learning together and I'm fascinated to connect with you know somebody like yourself who's accomplished filmmaker who's out there doing it but at the same time having the same questions or, or struggles or barriers about the marketing question, you know, issue. And so that's sort of, that's is my incentive to yeah. form all this stuff together. Just be, and a lot of it is because I'm passionate about it and I'm enthusiastic about it, but I'm trying to help, I guess, you know, knock down that barrier and f- help find that answer, you know? Um, so that's my incentive. Um, and then I am assuming like this is, as I say, through, you know, I'm assuming that your incentive here is to just like, hey, I got a chance to hang out and talk shop and share my filmmaking experience and and get my a uh, little bit more, you know, notice about mm-hmm. the film I'm working on too. But that's just me speaking for you. I don't know if you were to ask yourself like, do you have what, what would be your incentive, you know, coming on the show?
1: For me, I, I guess um, I'm building myself a profile in the states now. That's where the next three projects I've got are set. So, you know. Um, oh, good. Whilst I'm here in Australia, um, everything I'm working on is coming out of California for the next few years. Um, I've got two TV series and a film all set in California.
0: Okay. Okay, so great. So that you're like, it's nice. You're like, okay, let's just get out there. My incentive is just to get some more... Um, get out to the states and get these productions going and just yeah. let's just get that exposure happening. Yeah. Perfect. All right, so we'll continue with the slideshow. show. Is that? And So here's the thing, the big question is like, well, how do you market or how does anybody market to a target audience? You know, um, when you made your film, Citizen Lee*, did you did you guys have any idea who your uh, targeted audience might be?
1: Yeah, I knew who the target audience. We were aiming for a um, a diaspora an Asian diaspora market.
0: Okay, and with the, the, when you went to that process, was there sort of like a breakdown checklist of like, you know, I, I want to make sure, you know, th- this is the reason I say the checklist would be something in along the lines as a lot of marketing ad agencies companies will do. Um, like what is their medium income? You know where do they live, or what suburbs, or what parts of the city? Um, what is their moral beliefs? What is all these types of things help you understand? Like and what are the two things that you will never leave the house without? You know maybe like their phone or their keys or their you know things like that. So that way a marketer has a better understanding of like their world. And so when they're trying to reach a message to them, if they know they're always on their mobile phone, they would design like a mobile campaign. Or like if they're if they're constantly at a job where they can't get access to the media outside, um, is their travel from like the bus ride to their job. Do they put like an advertisement on the bus or the poster along that that those neighborhoods? You know, those are types of things. It's interesting when you break down the psychology or the patterns of your targeted audience. Um, I wasn't sure if you guys had something like that.
1: Well, yes, we knew we knew the audience very clearly, and that worked into the narrative. To be honest, when I started the project, I. Had very very little knowledge of marketing. At the end of the project, I know that I'm the one to be doing the marketing.
0: Okay, this is this is a fantastic question. So let's let's get into this a little bit more. Um, with your experience, like I said, and I can I can attest to just like making a film like this one. I knew I did everything wrong. Like I knew it wasn't a very strong genre. I kind of mixed two genres together. I didn't have a very I didn't have anybody in mind who was making this for because I made it for so little. I was like, okay, this is just my. This is for me, and and if somebody else gets you know something out of it, cool. But I never, I never approached it anything like a marketing plan whatsoever. I'm sure you know creatively when you're writing and putting together your film, um, the marketing part of it probably wasn't even on mine. I'm guessing was it just simply like you wanted to tell this story.
1: No, no, it was actually, the marketing was day one. Oh, good for you. When okay. I mean, yeah, yeah. When I mean the marketing, that I wanted to get to um, Asians in America, in Australia, and heading towards Asian markets in Asia. So I knew who I was making the film for when it came to the person who would watch it and i knew what they would need to see to be interested in it so that's what went into the narrative how i would actually sell the film as far as billboards etc cetera, etc cetera, no idea of that social media was starting to work but it's it's very difficult to split your time between writing directing producing editing a project and marketing because they're all different headspaces.
0: Yeah, no, I, and it's interesting because I'm trying to, with all this stuff in mind, like I said, it takes so long to, you know, develop the skills or the experience of just the production part of it, you know, knowing everything from top to bottom, and then all of a sudden now, the new millennium, they're just like, okay, now you have to add in the marketing aspect of it. You're like, well, what, you know, it's like, uh, like, I think your question is really valid because it's like who do you find that has that passion you because know, when you're making the film it's you're kinda of by yourself and you're just you're you're bringing in people here and there that will join you for the ride for or, like these sometimes short stints you know they're an actor that's on it for a little bit or some a crew member here and there but like when you're stuck from the beginning to the end it's like it it just it's just you or your partner you know like it's great if you have a partner For me, I don't have one right now, so it's like I'm just I'm running solo. So I gotta try to fuel the tank as much as possible, and then knowing that we gotta, you know, have to have some sort of semblance of. um, When they say social media, it's it's simply a marketing message. You're you're trying to communicate what you're working on in the most uh, effective way possible without hindering the actual product development side. So it's kind of actually funny because it's like uh, companies, right? you're you're building a product you know like you build a phone or something and you got to find your customers and then you got to market to your customers and make the sale um, they have a product development team so that would be essentially what filmmakers are they are creating the actual film product and then some, and then this hollywood has they have a marketing team that gets the message out and it's and only at like the red carpet events or the press the press junkets or the press tour that they have uh, those who are involved with the film do like a small couple like week stint prior to the launch because everything's built off like a, a launch like any and it's not just film it's like everything um, if you're releasing an album if you're releasing a digital software product everything's built off like it's coming you know it's it's coming in two weeks or it's coming in uh, whatever two months and all this anticipation and that's all part of the marketing message so my question to you is what did you discover in the after you finished the film that you knew like damn I don't you know I don't want to do the marketing stuff or at least I'm, I'm not that's not my forte um, how did you know or what things about it that said you know it was just too too time draining for you as a filmmaker
1: good question I would say that I can't do the job better than someone else
0: oh, that's a good okay and that's a like but you brought that up. In, in the email question because is, is actually really good and I'll put it up here in the slide is yeah like how do you find that? And that's not that's not like I said it's normally a filmmaker, they make a film, the ideal thing is have a distribution company come in, you know, cover the costs of the production so that everybody makes their money back. But then knowing that the, the, the film is in a place where it's going to have distribution plus marketing, you know, to the eventual sales. Um, that is the ideal goal. And you're the big. Unfortunately, the big question is: it's like um, how well do these distribution companies or these deals work out? Where they do a a good enough job of marketing? It's interesting enough. There's not like you really can't find per se like just um, a marketing group that just handles you know that you can enlist enlist the service to To pay for to market your film. However, I say that. But you didn't you just have a a call recently about like uh, talking to like, um, marketing services?
1: i It's coming up next week now.
0: Oh, because they're
1: busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <got> <laughs> well,
0: but, tell me a little. Yeah, bit. I mean. I'll, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, tell me a little bit more about the the pre call. Uh, like, what what is this like in your mindset? What is this company and what do they do? Um, that, uh, looks-
1: that that's what they do. They they market film, television, media. Interesting. So, um, and it's, you know, right at the moment, I'm in, I guess, because my TV series is starting to look like funding and we're attaching cast, um, I'm looking at, okay, well, we've got to market to a range of different people, not just the audience. It's getting marketed to networks. It's getting marketed to financiers. So I think there's a long-term... Marketing plan that will fold into the marketing plan that rolls out to the eventual viewers.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you start playing in that world of you know development. And, you know, where we're working with a lot of moving parts. You almost have to market to them. You know what I mean? Like you have to get to that stage first. Of like, let me market to the um, they call them gatekeepers, but you know the, the collaborators or whoever's going to be your business partners in the TV development. So you there's a way to Get in on that game, and you market your project. You market yourself to them first before the audience. And a lot of the differences with a lot of um, you know the Uber independent filmmakers out there that are trying to reach out to an audience directly. You know, um, there's a different legwork there. And it's I don't know if you ever heard of that saying before, but you can have in production. You were you did animation yourself. We can talk a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. But in the world of taking care of clients, there's like this saying that. You can have it fast, you can have it cheap, and you can have it good, but you can only pick two, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like this really funny law to to that where Hollywood, um, if they want to move fast and if they want to be good, it's not going to be cheap. They're going to have to spend a lot of money to make it happen. So for a lot of independents out there in any effort, if you're making a product or you're doing the marketing effort, um, if you want to make it good but you don't have the money to to spend a lot of it, then time is not on your. You know you can't go fast. You're gonna to have to go slow mm-hmm. to make it good. And that's why it's just like it's the tortoise and hair the hare um, fable, where you're we're all just tortoises, you know. <laughs> but it's such a long journey that way. But I think what you're doing is great because it's you. You made a product. You've got it out there, and now you are nurturing and marketing and building your relationships with those people in the LA-based area. To get the the funding going for your TV project, so it's going to be again. Then you want to go back to like whenever you talk to anybody in your your meetings as you go along your journey. Um, always keep in mind the incentive. You know, always know what your incentive is. Always kind of ask or figure out what their incentive is, because that way you like some distribution companies. be like look. I want to get your film. I want to hear. I'll, I'll give you a thousand dollar minimum guarantee offer for it, and but. Our incentive is like we take these type of Asian and you know gangster films and we package it all together. So we so our job is to take ten of these type of films and then we just we sell them to the markets around the world. So you your film is gonna be part of like one of ten. You know it's like or if you made a horror film or something like you know I just package like ten zombie films together and you're one of the ten zombie films. You know something like that. So it's it's. It's always good to know sort of what the incentive is or you know what the business model is. So that way you can kind of guess like you can you can decide what you're willing to compromise and not compromise and, and go forward with that. Um, I'm gonna jump back on the slide uh, presentation real quick here. okay. Okay, see so here. Yeah, so you had a question like if you're working with this company that's coming up. Like, well, when will the campaign start? I think we just went through this, didn't we? Oh no, we didn't, We went this in the. Uh, sorry, we actually went to this in the pre, the green room, <laughs> but the audience never saw this. Okay, <laughs> so the idea is like, when will the campaign start? And we mentioned about this uh, term. I think it was coined by John Reese a few years ago, the producer, of marketing development, the PMD. Uh, they are, they're sort of at the beginning, and they see themselves as a 50-50 partnership ownership of the project. Um, because they know how, how difficult the marketing uh, part of it is, um, and then they would start at the very beginning at the pre-pre production. But a lot of times, filmmakers are—they're definitely not in that situation. A lot of them just—they make a film and they're like, "Okay, I have this product. Now what do I do? How do I? Who do I align myself with? That's going to help me market it." Um, and I think it's a real—a real problem, but a, a possibly a solvable one that I'm—I'm I'm really eager to try to figure out, my, you know, to help filmmakers with. Um, so we mentioned this before in terms of when will the campaign start. Obviously it's great if they can start at the beginning, if you're working with a if a solo PMD. If you find like a, a good working relationship with somebody who will say, you know what, let me be your producer of marketing development. You know, obviously you got to test out any relationship in terms of working relationship. You're hoping that it's a, a positive one. Or you go down the traditional path of um, working with a, an ad, ad agency. That has you know many people, many employees. So their incentive is to take care of overhead costs and everybody's salary. So they're going to have to they have to hedge 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 their bets. They're saying like taking on a how many projects you know per year that allow to to garner them you know um, profits. So I brought up Relativity Media. They launched a company called Madvine, which is a combination of Madison Avenue in New York and Hollywood and Vine in. Uh, Los Angeles, and there's a link here in Variety magazine. But essentially, what they've done is, at the earliest, they are talking and working with big brands uh, like Ev- Avion Water, so that they are the Avion representatives are there during pre-pre production, like before even the script is even written. They are working in ways that Avion could be there. It's it's sort of like the most um, optimal uh, product placement. Uh, concept, but it's also the deal that they have would be um, with um, events, so red carpet events and things like that. So anything that Relativity Media produces, not just the movie, but the events that go around it, uh, they also represent a lot of sports stars. But there's a concept there in terms of Hollywood is making the move to integrate brand integration at a really, really early stage. This is and this is just beyond just standard like product placement you see in films, you know. Um, but that's this way any any way that a film or a film production company can get the funding um, and do it in a natural creative way, that is that is sort of the barrier that uh, that they're trying trying to solve that I think that independence can do as well. But anyhow, so that's sort of what you're probably going to look at when you're dealing with a um, a company or a partnership coming in, who's going to start taking the campaign and, like you said, do the job better than than you're able to do it, and you're trusting them to uh, to make it happen. And then you had this other question, which was, is there a long-term marketing plan for your film? And that honestly comes up to license control, and that's really what all. That's really what the business of Hollywood is. Whoops, get back here. License control. License control. So let's we can talk about that because that's we're talking about like the 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 nitty gritty of things now. So Hollywood, I I mentioned before um, that in I don't know other blog posts and stuff like that that you know Hollywood is not in the film business. Their whole business revolves around the exploiting licenses. This is the reason why when somebody wants your film, a distribution company, a lot of the deals run from like, look, we want to have uh, just Australian rights to your film or we want to have you know worldwide rights. We want to be able to take your film around the world. but we need to have control, one hundred percent licensing control of your property for ten to twenty five years. It's like, I mean, those are used to be the old deals. I think they're they're broken up in sections now. But the reason why distribution companies want license control, is because if their whole business model is based on exploiting that license you know they need to have they need to be able to for the longevity in terms of that's that is their long that is that is their incentive and that is their long-term plan is like if I can have a bunch of these sort of um you know Asian gangster films in my pocket then I would become like the distribution company the go-to library for all like the best of you know Asian gangster films and if I control that license then I um, I can sell off my entire library to like a more war- like a bigger entity like a Warner Brothers or whatever it might be so mm-hmm. then the hard thing about it is your counter your your bookkeeper um, working with their accounting c- company and trying to make sure that you get your fair share if they hand off that deal if they sell that license to a bigger entity mm-hmm. its um, so that's sort of the how the whole hollywood system works and the same thing with television world and all that kind of stuff. So it's really good to know like okay if they're looking at your work you're like well how can they benefit from the exploitation of this license? Cuz they say they might just take in like i love what you did let's exploit it more with this 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 subculture you know that you that you highlighted in your film and let's do more with it. And That's sort of really talking the producer's language and the distribution company's language. You know, yeah, everybody wants to make a good story and stuff like that. But if you can make a good story that has the potential of selling, you know, or or expounding upon that license even more, I always go back. You know, George Lucas is probably the the glowing poster boy example of this. The, The infamous, you know, deal that he made for his first Star Wars film was a 20th Century Fox got the, the rights to distribute the film worldwide but he retained the rights for all toy and merchandise um you know and he made all his money because he was able to exploit the license of that property and it, what really came down to that then was that Star Wars was nothing more than a, a glorified advertisement for all the other ancillary products that came from it mm. and that's when Hollywood took notice and that's why you see you know the Transformers films come out the way they do because in Transformer movies they may not be great cinema but they serve a purpose and they serve a purpose to be an advertisement to sell a uh, product so on an independent level you know something like your film uh, *Sis and Jai Lee you could do something um, something where like you said that subculture like you said the like Gwen Cassani w- w- explain to me again what, what was the, the term for that culture again the, the what kind of girl is it <laughs>
1: The Harajuku culture. I, th- I think I think that's I think that's a, even a, a smaller subculture than you'd want to deal with. I mean, I think the film is aimed at Asian culture, and mainly people who have gone to new countries, whether they be second, third, fourth generation, whatever. Um, and I take what you're saying about licensing because that's that's actually the model that I run. I actually, um, with the TV series, will be licensing options and retaining all the um, merchandising rights and so forth. So that, and also for sequels, spin-offs, and that, we'll be holding that because ultimately, our intellectual property is what's worth the money, right. not necessarily the individual program.
0: Right. So yeah, so now you've got that experience. So that's sort of that's really what becomes like the question of like what is a long term plan. And it's 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 worth asking, like whatever company or partnership you get in with, it's like to ask that question of like, well what you know, I know a distribution company, maybe they have that in mind of like how can we exploit this license if we control the license, can we make, you know, more sequels out of it? Can I do a spin-off, a television, you know, Mm. if, if they're gonna if they're gonna go and deal that's the kind of deal that they want at least you know what the incentive is behind that now if you're dealing with like an independent sort of PMD an independent producer who wants to come on to help out with the project here and there their incentive may be the long-term plan is simply like they believe in the project and they see the longevity of it um that they want to make sure they they're probably want to structure their deal in such a way that um They can cash in or be part of the profits uh, for the long term. You know, in in television, it's actually kind of funny based off the the guild rules. Um, Any sort of new television show that comes out, the director of that show, whoever gets to direct the pilot, ends up benefiting monetarily. You know, throughout the life of the the series, because they sort of the concept there is they set the tone for what the um, the rest of the series could be. So so uh, so you you get like a famous director. Someone like uh, David Fincher, so he does like House of Cards, right? Maybe he just does one episode. He does the first episode, and then then say the series goes on for another seven years, and it does extremely well. David Fincher will always profit from the fir- you know being that he was the first one based off contracts and uh, union rules and stuff like that through the life of the of the project. So you have certain th- uh, you know. Um, Television series like The X Files or now Walking Dead. I mean, look at Walking Dead. Uh, John Darap was his name. John, I can't, I can't pronounce it. But the creator of that show, he did like the first series, and he left as a showrunner and, and a creator of the show. But he'll because of his contract, that show would go strong without him, and he'll still make money off it. So, be, you know, as you're dealing with your your deals, if you being a, a you know a filmmaker yourself, if you can get in to be the pilot. Director, that's where you structure your deals that way. Not only with your licensing stuff, with the longevity of it, it was always helpful. So those are things to kind of think about as you head down that that path of dealing with a lot of different entities. You probably already know that. I don't know. Like I'm just blabbing, so you got to tell me. Like, oh yeah, no, I do know that.
1: <laughs> it's useful. I mean, I do know that for the writers and that because um, you know I've created all the characters and so forth. So and I know that. Um, those rights will just keep paying me back for years yeah. to come. Let's
0: see here. Um, oh, so let me go to. Um, we will wrap it up here in a little bit. So I'm going to take it to the end here with this, this these last bit of slides. Um, okay. So you see that. So everybody see that. So the, you had a question about like okay if you start working with these uh, like an ad, ad agency. Or independent, you know, producers or marketing and development, or anybody is going to help fulfill that role of marketing the film product. You're, you know, you wanted to know what are the expectations? Uh, whoops, so I'm clicking too many things. Okay, here we go. There we go. Well, you know, again, from their uh, from their point of view, they want to make sure that the product, which is the film, has uh has met the requirements. You know, and when I say met requirements, it's, it's basically like all the same stuff you've heard before, like you know, your this film product um, meets these expectations or requirements of like we're going to be able to hit this targeted audience or this marketplace. Um, we have uh, enough cloud or the execution of the product. It looks good. You know, if you you can remove this product and think of any product, you can think of not just film. It could be like again software or we're making a a, t- a running shoe. You know. So it's like, does the product is it high quality or is it low quality? If it's low quality, are we doing volume versus value? You know, if it's high quality, then we're not selling as much volume, but we're going to do sell a lot in value. You know, so we higher price. Those types of things where you know a company might look at the film product itself does it meet a certain amount of requirements? Um, and the average advertising company, you know, they'll fulfill their obligation. And a lot of times, just like any company, is that you you build a product, you get customers you get customer work orders and then you've got to um, hire an ad agency to do a campaign and the campaign sometimes only runs for so long. You might have some internal full-time people that work on the product for its life of the company but most of the times you just contract a advertising company to deal with a, sh- a short-term campaign. Again, it's all based off that launch, those product launch, Um, anything like it's the movie release and after the movie release maybe you're going on to Blu-ray or you're doing like um, a one-year anniversary of it whatever might be it's like everything builds up to this this initial product launch and so the advertising campaign comes on to try to come up with a strategy of knowing when the the actual thing is released and then um yeah how much will it cost I think we kind of quickly went over this like in 1980 the average spend for uh, prints and advertising or mostly advertising for average film was 12 million dollars 2007 jumped to 36 million today it's anywhere between 40 and 100 million so that is we call it, this based off this uh, link here from hollywood reporter but that is the traditional method you know and again it's like well how do independents you know ch- or just on the cusp or the just on the outside of how the studio systems work how do they work in that um, World of marketing. If they don't have these large spends to pay for an advertising agency, and that's where we get into permission marketing, and that's what the new marketing term of the last few years, coined by Seth Godin, who is a, an entrepreneur and a um, an author and has written a lot of books on this type of topic, and is it's like an internet go- uh, marketing guru, and so, um, the whole concept about marketing is that it leads to sales, like. You know, it's marketing is the messaging that eventually convinces somebody to buy the product, or like you said, bums and seats. You know, butts and seats. Like, how do we get people to come pay for the uh, experience to see the film? And so, with that, it's important to understand there are five obstacles to the sale, which is a customer sees that they have no need for it. That's an obstacle. They have no money. There's no hurry for them, and there's no desire. And there's no trust. And this comes from Zig Ziglar himself. Every sale has five basic obstacles no need, no money, no hurry, no trust, no desire, no trust. And this is helpful because if you can take these five things, then you know that your job, if it's not your, say, your job, but whoever's going to be your marketing lead or your marketing team for your project, is that they have to answer, they have to help the potential uh, customer or their lead or the target audience overcome these five. Uh, main obstacles that are just that are just inherently ingrained into everybody so there's no need for it there's the marketing message and the campaign has to create a need for it if they have no money you know what people have money if they really want something so like making sure that there's no desire you gotta make sure that they really want it and the other thing is if there's no hurry, that's why they do these product launches or like a, a film, like a theatrical release because it's like it's, the anticipation is like, look, this thing is only going to be in the theaters or it's only going to be online for like two weeks only. So there's, there's, there's a sense of like scarcity of like, oh, I better get it. You know, but if they have this sometimes this feeling that the thing exists all the time, there's no pressure for them to a customer to go, oh, I'll just get it when I'm ready to get it. But somehow there's like this weird feeling, like you know, if you order now, you know, you'll get you will get this film for half off, but only for this weekend or something like that. So that you know, you can, and the marketing message reiterates the need to take action quickly. And the last thing is like no trust. That usually comes in the form of like distribution companies, all or sales agents, always looking for filmmakers to come to the table with a, a trustworthy cast member or a trustworthy director. You know, because it's going to make their job easier. Because if you know, if a sales agent or a distribution company is their job is to market to eventually lead to sales, they need to know that the filmmaker has done a good job somewhere that they have something trustworthy that it's easier for them to sell, and um, and that's why you see. um, Oops, here. Sorry, I'm going to go back to my my face real quick. That's why kinda of, honestly that's why you kind of see the, the 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 evolution of the um you know the YouTube stars uh, because they're just putting themselves out there. Or like you and I, we're here on this live Google Hangout session. The mm-hmm. idea is that people to get to know who we are, so there's we're trying to build that trust up. So our film projects, you know, you know, for me personally, like I'm may never have like a star in my film. But if people become to know me and they like me and they do trust me, then that's the 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 trust that I build on a small scale online. Um, It's all very scalable. But that's why when you're working with a company like a distribution company or sales agent, which is you know subconsciously why they're always asking like who's in it, who's the director, what what kind of cachet does it have, because they need that trust level level to to help make the sale and help with the marketing message. So um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if any of this stuff actually helps. <laughs>
1: no, no, it does. It doesn't. It, it actually makes sense and it's part of, I guess, what my my plan is, is that what I'm building is something that is at the point where it's just out of water that you've got people who are attached a trustworthy, that you've got a potential audience ready and waiting that, when someone says, oh, there's this new product, there's this show, they say, oh, it's got that person in it, it's directed by that, it comes from that, it's produced, etc. And they say, oh, well, I'll go and see it because I've trusted their products in the past.
0: Yeah, definitely. Let me ask you something real quick as we wrap it up here because I do have to take off in a little bit here to pick up my daughter from her French class, French lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, um. If you could create the best, the you the ultimate situation, like if you were just allowed to be a filmmaker where you make your stuff and you knew there was an entity out there that you could bring your project to, um, that was a reputable, trustworthy uh, marketing service that helped the sales. I mean, in your mind, like how would that, if it if it exists or if it doesn't exist, what would be the 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 ideal situation?
1: You mean the ideal deal
0: or? Yeah, you know, like everybody has this the concept of like, God, you know, I just want to make my film, and a distribution company swoops in, pays big money for it, and I'm done, and they take care of it, and I don't have to worry about like the whole marketing and distribution part of it. But if that doesn't exist, and just filmmakers in general be like, look, I've fin finished something, but I do need help with my, I need like a a universal sort of marketing service, sales service that I could take my finished product and maybe. You know, pay for. I, I think or I,
1: yeah, I, I think I think that's where the mistake is, and I think it's. I, I don't. Marketing is probably one of the mistakes I made with Citizen Jolie But conversely, I don't know if there was anyone out there that offered the service at the time when I started and when I finished. And I think a lot of these things, like the PMD, the producer of marketing and distribution, these terms almost hadn't been. Um, coined when we really started. So I think the ideal deal is someone that works with, that shares but does not take over the ownership because I think that for filmmakers to be sustainable, you have to own your product. I don't think it's good enough to to just hand it away and I think you have to be all involved in that longer term marketing. I think you have to key in and say, well, I've got a relationship here that might go for 10, 15 years, 20 years and this firm will market all my product and I need to be able to trust them.
0: You know, you said on something is interesting. It's like you mentioning that filmmakers need to retain basically the ownership of the IP, which is again, it's uh, controlling their own license. And I wonder, like you said, you had an equity sort of fund or the deal made up for your actors. Um, you know, keeping. You know, I don't know how many cooks in the kitchen you can get, but um, would if ever if there's a project project out there that the the new financing structure is like look we're all like a co-op it's like we all will you know reap the benefits of the license you know but this is the the structure of how the co-op works like I'm the president not only the president of the co-op but the you know filmmaker blah 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 the, the producer director and so on and then that way when people come on board they know there's a there's Greater stake in the in the project, and and as long as it's really clear, like your role in the co-op as an actor and someone like that, I need you to work on your whole job is to do social media, and this is how mm-hmm. like here's the plan of how to do it, and then be, but if you fulfill this plan, you earn X amount of percentage in the overall license of the product, you know that we can exploit. I'm just, believe me, I didn't come up with any. This is just me blabbing. I'm sure other people have thought about it. But it'd be really interesting to see if there's uh, a new sort of. Business uh, template that could be built so other filmmakers could see, like, okay, this is a whole new way of financing and and making a film. Because now we're asking people not just to come in, get paid their fee, and then leave the project, and and then wonder what happened to it. If they know that there are some obligations because they are part of a co-op system or part of the licensing um, benefits, uh, it could give great. You know, you're, you're again back to incentive. You're trying to find the incentive mm-hmm. to have people be there for the long term for you for any of us you know
1: I think think it's a model that could work
0: yeah it'd be interesting to kinda you know tackle it because I know you mentioned like why don't more independent filmmakers like how can we you know it's hard to like get everybody together or like enough of us of a like-minded group together to be act like their own studio and I I guess YouTube has like their channels and stuff like that but um but it like you said people need to get paid you know (laughs) You know, people no, need to eat. Yeah, people need to get paid and people get, need to get eat uh, and if there's a way to profit, really profit, if something does really well um, I think it's maybe just go back to the drawing board on the deal structure. Um, the reason I say that, I remember dabbling in real estate investing here in America and there there's a traditional way of just going about getting a, a mortgage, escrow, getting a house and then the whole other side of things, there's a lot of creative financing That came about to try to get a house, you know, flipped or paid for, and that kind of stuff. And from that experience, I was thinking, like, why? why, You know, I wonder if there could be more could be done for the independent film world in terms of the financing structure. Anyhow, that was just me. (laughs) But maybe it's a follow up conversation I think we'll have as as we find out how you're doing with your television project, and definitely keep in touch with us uh, because it's always great to see where we start, what we talk about, and then maybe six months down the line, like, oh, did you hear something that happened, you know, or I don't know. But, um, uh, cool. I think that's about it. Um, I will just follow up. I will follow up with you later, and I thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to uh, close out with uh, the last bit of um, frames that I need to do, sort of my version of paying the bills, you know. <laughs> so, and this... All right, Sky. Hold on there. Let's see this. Let's see. Do I go? Is this working? Oh, there it is. Oh yeah. Back to this. So yeah, for everybody who's new to this uh, program, um, I offer you this free gift over at FreeGearGuide.com. And the idea here is that if you're stuck trying to make your film, you might get inspired by seeing what equipment I use to make a feature film for $500 with no crew. Again, it's a feature film, not just a short film. A feature film for $500 with no crew. Just head on over to freegearguide.com, and it's a free gift to you. And then um, that's it. I'll see you guys next time on Film Trooper Presents Film Marketing Fridays. Bye.